Let's pray. My prayer this morning, Father, is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. We welcome three more countries. Our sermons are now being heard in 20 countries around the world, including the U.S., and 1% of our listeners are still in Germany and Ireland, which means from our little tiny church in Cherry Hill, over 600 times the word of God has been preached from our church in Ireland and Germany. Vicki would like me to tell you, Ireland, that we're going to be there in August, and if you contact us through the, the Facebook page, King's Community Baptist Church, we'd love to be in contact with some of our listeners in Ireland. Now, I want you to get the picture here. When I was a little boy, we had flannel graphs. You may not remember the flannel graph, but it was this big flannel piece of cardboard. And then Aunt Janet, that's who we called our Sunday school teacher, had these little amazing pictures that she would stick to the flannel graph as she told us a story. And sometimes it was a, I get to use this word yesterday, it was a bucolic field out, you know, and isn't it funny that all of Jerusalem back then looked like an English garden, but anyway, and she would stick the, the figures to the board as she told us a story, and she was a wonderful storyteller, and she would always draw us in. Well, you know where she learned to be a wonderful storyteller from the best storyteller ever, whose name was Jesus, but I want you to go back, if you had a flannel graph, often the Pharisee on the flannel graph, had the long robe and he had the funny hat and the big beard and he, he looked like an impressive individual. If you saw this guy on the street, you would either duck into a corner or cross the street so you wouldn't have to talk to him. And if you remember, the publican, the tax collector, always looked a bit downtrodden, like in need of a 12-step program. And I'm here to challenge that image. Because the wealthiest man in the entire city was probably the tax collector. You may remember from the past, we've talked about this before, that tax collectors assigned a tax according to the Roman law, and then they would squeeze you for whatever they thought you could give them over and above that, and they were given several Roman soldiers to, in essence, hold you by your ankles and shake you till money came out. Now, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, and I don't know why I was thinking a lot about my childhood this week, but Saturday night, and we've talked about this, my dad and I got all the family shoes out, and we sat on the steps on the, the back of our house going down to the basement, and we polished mom's shoes, and we polished my shoes, and that's, we polished the shoes. And on Sunday morning, we put on our Sunday best with our shine shoes and our Schofield Bible. And we went to church, and we were always told we go to church and we wear our best because we want to give God our best. The problem is, God didn't care about my shine shoes or my new suit from Robert Hall or my brand new Schofield Red Letter Reference Thompson Chain Bible. God cared about my heart. So when you have a picture in your mind of a, a tax collector, a publican, and a Pharisee, I want you to not think of one being, you know, looking impressive and the other one looking downtrodden. 
They were both very well-respected and probably wealthy in the community. They were educated. They were powerful. They were at least upper middle, if not upper class. They were respected. One worked for God. One worked for the Romans. But they both had impressive employers. And one had a haughty heart. And the other one had a humble heart. One had self-esteem. And the other had God-esteem. Now, self-esteem is confidence in your own worth or abilities. I'm here because I pulled myself up from my bootstrap. You've heard this. You're right. Uh, Zig Ziglar, I like this, used to say, if you work the first eight hours of the day, you're with everybody else. But if you go further than that, you're leaving people behind, right? We in America talk about our hard work and our creativity and our independence. We are a self-esteem-based country. Well, that's about where the Pharisee was. He had a self-esteem-based faith. Now, I've never heard the word God-esteem before, but I'd like to add it to the discussion today. The publican had God-esteem. He knew here where he was in relationship to the all-powerful, all-knowing creator, judge of the universe. And he respected God's ability to heal and forgive. See, self-esteem seems judgment in the Bible <laughs> and applies it to the people around them. That's what the Pharisee's job was. I want you to, well, did you ever have this discussion with your loved ones? I wish I had enough money to buy an island and take my kids away from this crazy world and raise them in a loving environment without fear of, and you could fill in the blank, oil shortages, gas shortages, war, electricity, stuff on the internet. I, I used to think that all the time. I'd like to remove my children from this crazy world and build a life for them focused on family and God. Now, if you've not had that conversation, I'm not selling any guilt, but that's exactly what was happening in Jesus' time. Now, this is totally third grade, and you can't see it on the recording, but if you take two fingers like this and go like this, that means I agree. Does anybody remember the Dead Sea Scrolls? What, only two or three of us? So in the 1940s, a shepherd boy was throwing rocks into caves on the side of a mountain. And he heard the sound of a breaking jar. And he said to himself, self, he said, that's not what's supposed to happen. And he went and he looked and he found jars filled with the scripture that had been recorded from about the time of Jesus, if not before. And this was from the Essene community. They literally said, we don't like the way the world is going. We don't like the way the faith is going. We are going to start our own colony. And you can now today go, they've they dug it up. <laughs> and you can go see the Essene community. And they had ritual baptisms and they lived off by themselves because they wanted to be separate from the world. Now, I don't know if you know this, but the word Pharisee means to separate. So they didn't quite go all the way out into the wilderness with the Essenes, but they said, we are going to be different. We are going to be better than the people around us. And the Pharisees became the teachers of the law. They learned the law, and they believed 
that one day all of Israel would follow the law, and on that one day is when the Messiah would come. They wanted us to be different. They wanted us to be better. So they taught the Bible so others could be, hear this, as good as the teacher. If you learn this, you could grow up to be a good Pharisee like me. They set themselves higher than the others because they held the law and they told others what the law was. And they built spiritual hope on a false premise. I want you to hear this of works, knowledge, and status. In essence, they said faith is a ladder, a ladder, and we have to climb it. And now I was thinking as I write these sermons, life is a ladder. Imagine if none of us ever learned to roll over. Now, if you've ever had a baby in your life, you lay him on the blanket and you could walk away. You come back, they're still there. I sort of like that. You could go wash dishes, fold laundry. You could even sit in a chair, read a book. And then one day the baby, you know, begins to do the fish flop and they roll over. And we call grandma. I don't know why we do this, but we call grandma and we say, oh, the baby rolled over. Now, my oldest son had club feet. He had casts and braces on his legs. He could not walk or crawl. The boy learned to travel through our house by rolling around. And when he got to the wall, when he was a baby, he didn't know how to back up. So you would just hear this thump, 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 because he couldn't go in any other direction, right? But imagine if we never climbed to the next rung after rolling over, then you've got to learn the wiggle crawl, right? And then you've got to learn to crawl. Then you've got to learn to toddle. Then you've got to learn to walk. We're climbing the ladder, right? Then you've got to learn to talk. Remember the celebration when they first said something that resembled your name? Daddy, mommy. My mom tells me my first word was dog. She's very upset about that. I mean, she's 80 years old. It's like, your first word was dog. Like, I'm sorry. It's not like I thought about it. Right? But then we learn to communicate. We're climbing the ladder. Then we go to kindergarten. You got to learn your colors. You got to learn your numbers. You got to learn how to stop, drop, and roll, and stop, look, and listen, and wash your hands, and share your cookies, or hey, maybe you share your cookies and then wash your hands. I don't know, right? We're climbing the ladder. Then we get to sixth grade and seventh grade, and now we have to learn to get along and be in choir and play football. And what do you do? You go to college and you're climbing the ladder, right? And you get out of college, yay, then you got to get a job. What an eye opening experience that is. You mean I don't get a month off in January? I don't get every holiday off? I, I can't call in sick whenever I just have a little headache? I have to go to work every day? Kids today call it adulting. No, it's called life. Right? You're climbing the ladder. Oh, and then you fall in love. And now two of you are climbing the ladder, and you got a couple kids on your back, and you're paying the mortgage, and we're climbing and climbing. And then what do we do? We look at all the other people who haven't climbed as high as we have, right? I'm climbing the ladder, and my car's nicer than you, or my suit's nicer than yours, or I went to a better college than you did. And all of our life is focused on climbing this ladder. And the Pharisees had taught the first century Jews, and dare I say, some pastors today are teaching their congregations that you've got to climb the ladder to reach God. 
And that's wrong. There is no ladder high enough. We don't have enough time. We don't have enough energy. We have too much sin to ever be able to reach God. Well, Pastor, you say that's fairly helpless. Now you got me climbing a ladder I didn't even plan to climb. I can never reach God on my own. What do I do? Well, let's look at the other guy who had God esteem. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. Now, I, I thought about this. We don't often come to church just to pray. That's all these two guys did, was to come to church to pray. Well, actually, one came to announce how high he was on the ladder, and the other one came to pray. But how often do we just come to sit in this place and share our heart with God and let God share his heart with us? This is where the Methodist in me stops, and I'm sorry, I miss an altar rail. I miss it. A nice cushion, some carved wood, aimed at the cross, right in front of the communion table, so that I could come up and kneel and spend some focused time. And I know at the end of every sermon, we invite people to come sit in the front pew, and we would love to pray with you, and we would. But it's not the same as an altar rail. And I don't go to many Baptist churches other than this one. I don't know if that's part of your tradition. But maybe one day, even if we had a pretend one, just for one Sunday to make Doc feel better. But we need a place, we need a time to be able to have focused, heartfelt prayer. Yes, we do take time during the service to lift up our request, and I, I do remind you, as I do it again today, to text the people that we prayed for. That really means a lot to them. And I, I, I always get a response back that says, thank you, that meant so much to us. So I've, I've texted several of the people that we prayed for this morning already to let them know we prayed for them. But the publican, the tax collector, came to pray, to lay his heart in front of God. And what did he say? I'm a sinner in need of grace. Now, we're back to this again. Do this if you're a sinner in need of grace. If you don't do this, then you can have my job because I need to sit out there. You're further on that ladder than I am. But we already learned that the ladder is not where we need to be. He said, I'm not even worthy to approach the throne. Now, Back to my Methodist roots, there's part of the prayer that says, we do not presume to come to this thy table, most merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness. I prayed that prayer when I was a little boy. I cannot reach you on my own. I want you to hear this. My faith walk is a journey, and it has its ups and downs, and God wants to walk it with me but he doesn't force himself along my journey. I have to invite him. Now, for those of us of a certain age, and we started here, I want to backtrack a little. Sunday church meant Sunday best, shine shoes, smell well, and my Schofield Reference Bible. And maybe our parents did us a disservice by teaching us that God looks on the outside. Because even when I was getting my kids ready for church, I don't think I ever said... Make sure your heart is ready for God. 
right? Is your hair brushed? Did you brush your teeth? Did you wash behind your ears? Uh, your shoes have to match. Go back up and get the right shoes, right? I might have actually continued that myth that God cares how we look, but when we give him our best, well, hear this. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, God says this to the prophet, for the Lord sees not as man sees, for man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. In Hosea, he writes, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt sacrifices. The real message here, I think, for us is what's in your heart. In Psalm 51, 17, it says, the sacrifice of God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Man sees life as a ladder. God sees life as a bridge. Man sees us climbing the ladder to job and money and power and prestige. Sometimes Christians see the ladder as being knowledge and power and prestige. Sometimes we're more worried about the car we drive to church than the heart we bring to church. When I talk to teenagers about Jesus, I sometimes use an example called a bridge to life. And you may have heard me use this before. You draw a big chasm And on one side of the chasm, you put a little stick figure of a man. And the other side of the chasm, you put God. And then you talked about the teenagers, all the things that we do, like my children's sermon, to reach God. We give and we serve and we... But there's nothing we can do to make it all the way across that chasm to reach God. And you might share with the teenagers Romans 6.23 and Romans 3.23. For all of sin. And fall short, see, the chasm of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And then on that chasm, you draw a sideways cross that bridges the chasm. And on that cross, you write Jesus. God built a bridge for us to reach him. Remember, Jesus said he was teaching this parable for the people who were self-righteous. What is he saying? Stop climbing. You can never reach God by climbing. Start praying. Start listening. Start realizing that you have God esteem rather than self-esteem. You know what? Even the early church wrestled with this because remember in James 2, he actually says, if a rich man comes to your church and he has on a robe and rings, don't say to him, oh, come sit up in the front. And then treat a poor man by like hiding him in the back. God looks at the heart. I want you to think this. This is my my last real big point. That everything the Pharisee said was true. He did not lie to God. He knew exactly which rungs of the ladder he had climbed. He said, I fast twice a week. Well, we know from history that the Pharisees fasted on Mondays and Thursdays. He said, I give tithes of all we possess. We know from history that they even tithed on the spices in their kitchen. He said, I'm not a crook. And they weren't crooks. They were doing their best to teach the law of God to the people. 
And he said, and I'm not like this tax collector. I, I haven't allied myself with the enemy. I'm not taking money that doesn't belong to me. And when he said, I'm honest and faithful and zealous for my religion, he was a Pharisee. That was in the job description. But you know what? Those truths have nothing to do with the kingdom of God. If you're taking notes, there's three things I want you to take home with you. Because remember, it's not how you enter the sanctuary that's important to God. It's how you leave the sanctuary. If you're coming to church, please bring a broken and contrite heart. Come knowing that you are a sinner in need of God's grace. The second thing I want you to take home with you is this. Learn that we are all especially in need of salvation and grace. There's nobody that's closer to heaven than the other because none of us can reach it on our own. There is no heavenly hierarchy based on anything other than the love of God. I see some of you started writing. So the first one was bring a broken and contrite heart to church. And the second one is learn that we are all in need of salvation and grace. And the third one is this. The way that you and your heart leave church is more important than the way you enter. I'm going to add this to my t-shirt collection, you know. You are worth the price God paid for you. Wouldn't it be nice if we had a t-shirt that said, stop climbing. Amen. Have you today realized that your spiritual journey is based on self-esteem rather than God-esteem and would like to pray or counsel? We don't have an altar rail, <laughs> but our first pew is open and our pastors and our deacons would love to pray with you. If this morning you've come to realize that Christ died for you and you would like to give your heart and life to him, again, our first pew is open during the final hymn and our pastors and deacons would love to pray with you. And finally, as always, if you need counsel and prayer, our pastors and deacons would love the opportunity to pray with you. Let's stand and sing our last hymn together, It Took a Miracle.